Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. So here's Gideon, not a man of great faith and power. He's hiding from the Midianites while they raid his village. He's in a hole in the ground, threshing his wheat, hoping that they don't find him. Yet God used Gideon. That's the supernatural part. No, it's not. We'll get to the supernatural part here in a minute. God used Gideon to destroy the altars built to worship the Canaanite god of Baal. Baal, we often don't define that very much. You see Baal in the Old Testament very often uh, because Baal was a part of a lot of the the other like sub-religions that were in the land of, of Canaan. Does that make any sense whatsoever? So Baal shows up in a lot of other religions. Uh, He was the Canaanite uh, God who brought rain and fertility to crops and animals and even people. So it was a very sexualized God. Does that make sense? God sent Gideon and an army of 32,000 men, pardon me, to defend Israel from the combined armies of Midian, Amalek, and the scripture says the people from the east. And so that's what makes the map, is the people of the very specific, right? You have the Amalekites down here in this part of the Negev. You have the Midianites from way down here, And then they're going to all travel. That's what the red lines are. They're all coming here to meet. uh, They're going to attack Israel. God says they camped out in the Jezreel Valley. I think it shows. I thought it shows that. There's the Jezreel Valley is this part right here. Uh, It's just this big valley kind of by the the Jordan River. Um, They're going to meet in the Jezreel Valley. Uh, In preparation for this battle, God sends 10,000 troops home just because they were feeling timid. So Gideon is going to fight three armies who have met together. He has 32,000 soldiers. God shows up and says, hey, Gideon, some of these guys are a little timid. Let's send them home to the guy that was hiding in the, in the thresh, threshing his wheat. <clears throat> Then there were still too many, so God sent home the soldiers who drank from the stream, lapping it up like dogs. You may remember that story. So now Gideon has only 300 men used their hands to cup the water and bring it to their mouths. And that gets us to Judges chapter 7, verse 8. Here we go. Oh, yeah, that was the map that I wanted. Right right here at Mora is where we're going. Right here in this valley, right here. This is where it's all going to happen. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns, because that's important. You want to get everybody's trumpets. So God collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home. But he kept 300 men with him. Well, if you're going to attack a big army, you should... Keep 300 men. Seems reasonable, all right? The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night the Lord said, get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. How many times have we read that in the last three weeks? But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah. Listen to what the Midianites are saying and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took Purah and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian 
Amalek and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Imagine this. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore. Too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. I'm afraid this might say something about this guy's wife's cooking. You know, that, that's, that's the illustration. This big old loaf of barley bread came and hit us and wiped us all out. I would like my wonder bread, please. <laughs> Verse 14. His companion answered, your dream can only mean one thing. Your wife's a bad cook. No. Your, meat, your, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and he shouted, get up for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. He divided the men, the 300 men, into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn. Hmm and a clay jar with a torch in it. Vicious groups of 100. I have a trumpet and a flashlight. We're going to take you. Again, we don't understand the military strategy, but hey, this is God's plan, not ours. Verse 17. Then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord, for the Lord and for Gideon. That's what he told him to do. Shout for the Lord and for Gideon. I think Gideon's feeling his confidence here. In verse 19, it says, it was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly, they blew the, the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the torches, the blazing torches in their left hands and their horns in their right hands. And they all shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Terrifying bunch. Each man stood at his position, camped around the camp, and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. There's barley bread coming! <laughs> Sorry, my mind just goes crazy sometimes. I'm back on track. Here we go. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled to places far away, as, as far away as Beth Shittah near Zerah, Zerah, and to the border of Abel Mahalah near Taba. Those are real places. So, yeah, I know. It sounds like you made them up, huh? So up here is where they have the battle by Mora. 
They're going to chase them all the way down here along the river because these guys know that they need to get across the river. So they're looking for a place. So, so they're going to come all the way down here in the story here in a little bit. And then pay attention to where Ephraim is right here. We're going to come back there here in just a second. Then Gideon, actually we're going there right now. Then Gideon sent uh, for the warriors of Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh, that's uh, the tribes that are around this area. So he goes in with 300 men, but then he sends message to these other uh, tribes. He says, hey, now we need help. These guys are on the run, so we need your help. Uh, so, so Gideon sent for the warriors of Naphtali, uh, Asher, and Manasseh, who joined in chasing the army, uh, army of Midian. Gideon also sent messages throughout the hill country of Ephraim. So all the way down here, he's up here. He sends a message down here, and he says, hey, you guys, uh, meet us over here because there's, there's Midianites coming this direction. He says, uh, come down to attack the Midianites, cut them off at the shallow crossings of the Jordan River at Beth Barah. That's down here. So all the men of Ephraim did as they were told. And then what happened is men from the tribe of Ephraim, they captured and they killed the two Midianite commanders uh, at the Jordan River at Beth Barah. Uh, the individual tribes of Israel, they are working together to defend themselves and one another. Again, God supernaturally gives Israel victory over their enemies. It's a really great life they have. They don't have a king. But obviously, God has a way of organizing them and leading them and getting them to where they need to be. Does that make sense so far? Number two, more spiritual births. More spiritual births. Supernatural births. Sorry, I'm thinking ahead of my reading. More supernatural births. I do think it's interesting as you read through the Old Testament, a lot of these big figures are born to women who were previously barren. Do you think it's setting up for something? You know, a woman that shouldn't have a baby all of a sudden has a baby? Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Others are like, oh, that's good. You know, like a baby being born to a virgin. That's, that's kind of crazy. More supernatural births. And then Samson, we have the story of Samson. He was one of the judges. I'm still in that vein. We just went to a different point, okay? So he was, Samson was one of the 12 judges over Israel. If you know the story of Samson, you know, from kids' church, from Sunday school, you might be thinking to yourself, really? Samson was a judge, one of the, like a leader in Israel? Because wasn't he questionable? Questionable is a nice way of putting it, huh? Not a, well, anyways, here we go. Judges chapter 13, verses one through five. I'm, I'm going through this kind of quick because I know that you guys, well, I'm trusting that you guys know the stories. If you don't, go back and read the whole stories. The book of Judges is fascinating. Joshua too. Genesis is good. Exodus is really good. Leviticus and Numbers. Deuteronomy. But Joshua and Judges are really good. Read those, okay? Do your soap. Judges chapter 13. Again, the Israelites did evil. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. I just, the end of the previous point. Israel is doing great. They're conquering enemies. They're supernaturally working together. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines. That's these people down in here in Philistia. Yeah, do you know where we're at in the map? Over here is the Jordan River, Sea of Galilee, Dead Sea. This is where the Philistines are going to live. 
and who opposed them for 40 years. I underline that in my notes because it's things you just don't think about. We're, we're covering a 400 year period. And so in this 400 year period, Israel is doing well and then they do evil in the sight of the Lord. So for 40 years, the Philistines just come in and basically oppress them for 40 years while they are in the promised land. Verse two, in those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful you, may not, you must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must not be cut. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. Nazarite, there's a Nazarite vow. It was a very special setting apart to God. He will begin, it included not drinking wine and not having your hair cut. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Okay? You're going to become pregnant with his son. He's going to begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. So Samson was born, his, his parents dedicated him to God. And within, when the spirit of God came upon Samson, you may remember he became supernaturally strong. I'm not going to go through all the stories. But part of the story is Samson gets fooled by a woman who cut his hair, which was part of his Nazarite vow and the secret to his strength. And he became weak as any other man. So the Philistines capture uh, Samson and they take him. And after being beaten down and abused by the Philistines, God gave Samson supernatural strength one last time. And he killed 3000 Philistines at one time by collapsing the temple of Dagon during a big celebration. Here's what I found. You could say, Siri's helping me out. I don't know how to turn that off. Here's what I found about the temple day, God. <laughs> Shut up, Siri. <laughs> Why well, just teed that up for a good joke? All right. So, you know, Samson, he goes between the pillars. He pushes the pillars apart. You could say he brought the house down. <laughs> Didn't work because Siri interrupted me. The story of Samson is not an isolated incident of Israel slipping away from following God. The story of Samson, we often, we, the, this, the Bible tells the story of Israel through individual characters and the story of Israel, but he uses individual characters. So it's easy for us to look at Samson and say, oh, he's a bad guy. No, all of Israel was doing evil in the sight of the Lord. He's just kind of a personification of Israel's apathy toward God. Are you following? We point at Samson, but Samson is a personification of Israel's, all the nation's apathy toward God. Samuel was one of the last judges, last of the 12 judges. 
Samuel was also a prophet. He was God's mouthpiece to Israel, the one who pronounced God's instructions to the people of Israel because they didn't have a Bible like we have a Bible. They did have their scriptures, their Old Testament law, the law of Moses. But they, they had a prophet who was God's mouthpiece. And it was often a message of stop sinning or there will be significant consequences. We see that throughout the Old Testament and the prophets. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, also had not been able to get pregnant and had prayed desperately and asked God for a baby for a long time. After Samuel was born and was old enough, Hannah brought Samuel to the tabernacle to give him back to the Lord. And this is her prayer. I put this in because I like the prayer. It's really, really good. In 1 Samuel 2, 1, it says, then Hannah prayed. Imagine this. She went for years without having a baby. Now she's had a baby. God has blessed her. Her heart is full. She, she prays, my heart rejoices in the Lord. She's come back to the tabernacle. She'd been there many times before praying, asking the Lord. The priest thought she was drunk one time because she was carrying on so much. My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Oh, that's good. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance for the Lord is a God who knows what you have done and he will judge your actions. Still true today. The bow, the bow of the mighty is now broken and those who stumble are now strong. Those who were well fed are now starving and those who were starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children. I think she's feeling her Cheerios. And the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. Brent, that doesn't fit into our, our Christianity. No, it's just the Bible. So sometimes when we do non-biblical Christianity, our God does not fit into the Bible. Did you catch that? The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's and he has set the world in order. Wow. Verse nine, he will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives power to his king. He increases the strength of his anointed one. Then Elkanah, which is his father, returned home to Ramah without Samuel and the boys served the Lord by assisting Eli the priest. So he leaves Shiloh, goes down here to Ramah to the tabernacle. 
Hannah prays this great prayer of, thank you, Lord, you're, you've answered prayer, you're powerful, you've, everything is good. And dad says, well, we should just leave him here at the tabernacle. And then he goes home without Samuel. Samuel was raised by the priest Eli in the tabernacle at Shiloh. I did it backwards, didn't I? They came from Ramah and went to Shiloh. Pardon me. Samuel's mother and Samson's mother were not physically able to bear children. Every time there was a physical obstacle, God intervened and moved the story of Israel forward. We look at the story, we see Israel has done evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh-oh, he's going to write him off. This is the end of the story, end of the book. Nope, because every time there's a physical obstacle, God intervenes and he does something supernatural to move the story of Israel forward. That gets us to number three in your notes. The obstacle is not always physical. Sometimes it's our own desires. I said something to that effect last week. The obstacle is not always physical. Sometimes it is our own desires. God gave Israel the promised land. He gave it to them, flowing with milk and honey, and they decided they wanted something else. It was while Samuel was judge and prophet that the people of Israel decided that they wanted to be like other nations, and they demanded a king. We want to be like everybody else, Samuel. So in 1 Samuel chapter 8, as Samuel grew old, talk about fast forwarding, he was just born, left at the tabernacle, now we're going forward to as Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel, Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba, but they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all of the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matters with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. We don't want to be told we are now old, by the way. Look, they said, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Verse six, Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. We could stop there and preach a whole sermon on Samuel was displeased with their request and he went to the Lord for guidance. He says, God, I don't know what to do with these people. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. God says to Samuel, the people of Israel do not want me to be their king any longer. There's a lot to absorb there. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods, and now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they say, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking, for, uh, asking him for a king. This is how a king will reign over you, Samuel said. 
The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before the chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow his fields and harvest in his harvest his crops and some will be made his some will make his weapons and chariot equipment the king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him i think that's kind of funny verse 14 <laughs> what kind of king is this he will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. When that day comes, you will beg for a relief from this king you are demanding. Verse 18, when that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding, but then the Lord will not help you. Is that really what the Bible says? I don't know, look at the King James Version, see if it really says that. It's that New Living Translation, it says that the Lord will not help you, that's not true. Sorry. Verse 19. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. Who led them into battle before? God, with a 100% success rate. When they followed God into battle, they always won. When they went on their own, they always lost. <clears throat> so Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord replied, do as they say and give them a king. Then Samuel agreed and sent the people home. You can see why Samuel was not in favor of Israel having a king. Samuel was able to see what a king was going to do to the people of Israel. A king, like the other nations, was not was going to not be what was best for the people of Israel. They looked around and said, what's best for us is that we have a king like the other people. And God says, and Samuel says, no, having a king like the other nations is not what's best for Israel. God had delivered Israel from slavery. He had given them victory over the people of, of the promised land. He had performed miracle after miracle on the behalf of Israel. God had caused barren women to give birth to fantastic nation-transforming leaders. Israel was disgruntled with God's plan. Israel was disgruntled with God's plan. And God conceded to the desires of of Israel. They didn't like the plan. They want a different plan. God says, fine, I'll let you go that direction. In this case, God allows the consequences of Israel's desire. The time of Judges and Samuel, uh, Judges and Samuel, they overlap with the beginning of the time of the kingdom and the first king of Israel, the first king of Israel being Saul. Good job. 
It's a great story. First Samuel nine tells us that Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin and was the most handsome in all Israel. Hmm. He stood head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. We fast forward. First Samuel 10. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and he poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. God hasn't given up on Israel. He's watching out for them, but he's gonna give them what, he want, what they want. Saul was the first king of Israel. A God who governed their hearts was not what they wanted. A judge who warned them of the consequences of sin was not what they wanted. A prophet who reminded them of God's law was not what they wanted. A king is what they wanted. A king who would tax them and conscript their sons into the army to fight against enemies that previously God had fought against. A king who would more often lead them away from God than toward God, if you know the history of the kings of Israel. A king whose kingdom would ultimately and completely fail. God gives us everything good. And mankind is disgruntled with it. God gives us everything good. And then mankind is disgruntled with it. He gives us this great salvation and we say, yeah, but, and we think of other things we'd rather have. We need a new heart. We need to be born again, not of sin-contaminated flesh and blood, but to be born again of the Spirit of God. We need to become a new creation. We need a Savior. You've been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We would like to invite you to one of our service times at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings here in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.